Good morning. Glad to have you here this morning. My name is Mike Lilly. I am one of the pastoral candidates here, and it is a pleasure to be able to meet with you today to share God's Word with you. Uh, it is a privilege to share God's Word with you. Uh, it is a privilege to worship together as the body of Christ. On October 20th, 1944, at 10 a.m., American forces from the 7th Infantry Division, 34th Infantry Divi Regiment, landed on Red Beach, Leyte Island, the Philippines. What began a 10-day battle to retake one of the first of the islands of the Philippines. The initial intelligence given to those attacking that beach was that it was pretty much undefended. This had been the case on several smaller islands that had been attacked. Uh, they knew that there was a strong Japanese presence on the far side of the island, but on this side it was intended to be relatively lightly defended. When the 34th Infantry Div uh, Regiment landed, what they found was a strong network of concealed pillboxes and trench lines through which the Japanese had been in. They allowed the first wave of American forces to get on the beach. Nothing was going on. They start to mill around. They move forward a little bit, and boom. The, the jungle just opens up in front of them. It wasn't going well. By the third uh, set of landing craft that came in, the regimental commander came onto the beach, quickly assessed the situation that they, they were pinned down by heavy machine gun fire, by heavy rifle fire, and he stands up in the midst of this and yells, follow me, and starts going forward. That's what's captured in this picture here. Colonel Aubrey Newman. That day, the 34th Infantry Regiment knocked out all of the pillboxes, pushed back the, German, or the Japanese lines, and established a bridgehead for the rest of the American forces to come on to the island. Now, that would not have occurred if someone hadn't said, follow me. It wouldn't occur also, though, if men in that regiment had not gotten up and moved forward. Now some men would come out of that battle that day with the Medal of Honor. Some would come out with the second highest award we give as a nation, the Distinguished Service Cross. Colonel Newman was one of those. Others would come out with silver stars or bronze stars. Some would rise up to meet the challenge and immediately be cut down by gunfire. Some would be wounded and never make it off that beach. But men from that regiment came together to follow their commander when he said, follow me. They brought all of their skills, their training, their specialties, And they move forward. Imagine, for just a moment, 
what could have occurred if they had remained distracted by the gunfire on the beach. Now I say distracted because they have a mission to accomplish and that is to take an island. And in a sense, gunfire becomes a distraction, keeping you from doing the mission. And each of you are very aware of the daily battle of life and how quickly you can become distracted by everyday life's gunfire. And it can keep us from following the commander who says, follow me. I hope in today's sermon to bring before you the fact that each of you, like the men out of the 34th, had a purpose. You have a mission. You have a call. Both as a church, as the body of Christ, as a church, and as individuals. That God has prepared you and equipped you. He's trained you. And He's put something in your heart. Christ in your heart, but He's given you specific things that He's laid on your heart to do. Whether you're a mom raising kids, whether you're a grandmother raising stepkids, or your grandkids, whether you're a mom or a dad in the workplace, God's given each of us things that He's placed on our hearts to accomplish, things that He's called us to do. And today, that's what I want to look at. I want to look at, one, how did Peter walk through this? And then two, how do we walk through this? Okay? So, let's go ahead and open up with our scripture today. We're going to read John 21, 15 through 24. Now, we're going to focus actually, on the passage more of 20 through 24 a little later on, but I want just to read this whole section of John, 15, or John 21, 15 through 24, because it's going to give you some of the highlights, some of the mission and purpose of, of what Peter has been asked to do. Verse 15 starts, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, You know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This was said to show by by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and, and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord God, for your word. Thank you that you give us examples of faithful men who had to walk out their daily lives before you. Ordinary men who you called to many great things, who you gave purpose and calling to, above and beyond what they thought they were capable. Lord, today, would you be among us? Would you stir our hearts afresh to follow you? Even as you spoke to Peter and said, follow me. Lord, would you stir our hearts afresh today to follow you? Lord, bless your word and cause it to do all that you would have today. In the hearts of those gathered here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage today is similar in some senses to the story about the 34th Infantry Regiment. In that each person had a mission and a role to play. You had people that did demolitions. You had guys that were heavy machine gunners, light machine gunners, mortarmen, and plain infantrymen. And yet they all had a mission. They all knew their role. And some of them had very specific things that they were assigned to accomplish once they had landed on that beach. And yet they all knew that they needed one another to accomplish that mission. The same is true. So when the commander says, follow me in this beachhead, people had to get up and do what they were called to do. Yeah, they did have a choice, I'm sure, but they got up and did what they were called to. Christ is in very similar sense saying the same thing to Peter. Peter, follow me. He's saying, I know you love me, 
I know also that this will lead you to your death. But Peter, follow me. Don't worry about what John's going to do. Don't worry about how he might accomplish the things he's called to do or whether he's going to die in the process. You, Peter, focus on me and follow me. Like Peter and John, our, our calls and our missions, our purposes to what God is doing in our lives are different. We're to be for one another and yet not negatively compare ourselves to one another. To be aware of what others are doing and encourage them in that and not to be discouraged when we see their success in something. We can easily get distracted. Now, as we go forward in this message, what I'm hoping to show you initially here is that God has a purpose for each of us. He has a big purpose for, for the believers, a purpose, in, if you will, for our church, and a purpose for us as individuals. Let's take a moment and look at that. Um, if we were to look at John, or Proverbs 16.4, we would find out, there should be a series of these up on the board, that God is, is laying out purpose for man. He says everything, everyone has a purpose. Some for good. Some for evil. But God has created. God made them all. In 1 Peter 2.9, he says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a royal nation a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness to marvelous light. There's a sense of purpose and calling in what God is doing. One very broadly. One more specifically. In Romans 9.21, it talks about the potter. He's got a lump of clay. Some he makes for honorable purposes. Some vessels are made for honorable purposes. Some for dishonorable purposes. But they have a purpose that is intended by the Creator. You were not created without purpose. 1 Timothy 2, our correction, 2 Timothy 1, 3-14. Timothy gets called. He receives a calling. Peter is reminding him, or yeah, Paul is reminding him, sorry, Paul is reminding him of his call. He says, fan to flame, bring it to life. The gifts that God gave you. Why? Because, Timothy, you've been saved to a holy calling. Moreover, Paul will continue in and then say, oh, and by the way, I share in a calling from God and my calling is to be an apostle, to preach and to teach. And I pray that God will guard that deposit He's made in me. And, and oh, by the way, Timothy, step into the call that you've been given. 
Step into what God has called you to do and guard that deposit well. All the disciples, and thereby, as you look at it, we, received a great commission. If you look at John 20.21, it says, I'm going to send you as God sent me. That's your role in the earth. That's your mission. You're sent ones. And that gets passed on from the disciples. You can see it in the Great Commission. If you look at the next slide. The Great Commission then gives it in the same way. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore into all the earth. Make disciples. Make disciples. That's what we're supposed to be doing. All of us are given that mission. The 12 disciples were given that mission. We all share in it. Now, I'm bringing that up to say, look, we have purpose in the earth. Broadly, God created everyone. Some for good, some for bad. Secondly, He brings and says, oh, there's this group that are called out to be part of a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And then within that, some of you are given gifts. Some of you are given gifts to teach and to preach. Some are given gifts to be hospitable, to serve, to help. Some are given gifts to administer and to lead. And all of those are given by God with a purpose for you to accomplish the things that He's set before you. More broadly, we're all called to share this Gospel. We are all sent ones. So when we talk about particular calling for, for Peter and how he's to walk that out as we get to, into our story, it's good to understand that all the disciples had a sense of purpose and calling. And that's what I just I wanted to make sure we understood that. Where do we get the sense that, that Peter stands out, or where do we get the sense of Peter's calling? Well, if we look at how Peter develops in the course of the Gospels, we find that, that Peter is one of the first ones called. In all the Gospels, Peter's the first one called. Peter and Andrew. They're on the boat. They're fishing. Jesus, we find in Mark, says, follow me. He, they're on the boat. He says, I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. So this follow me phrase is something that, that Peter gets to hear a number of times. In the beginning and the last words he's going to hear from Christ all seem to be this idea of follow me. After that, where do you find Peter? Well, Peter is regularly in positions of leadership. Peter's one of the first ones you see to ask Jesus questions. When Jesus goes in the early part of the Gospels, where does he go? He goes to Peter's house. He stays at Peter's house. Peter is the one who gets out of the boat and walks to Jesus in the storm. Peter's the one who professes Christ as the Messiah. 
Peter's the one. When you get to the book of Acts, Peter's the one who all the disciples are looking to in the, in the room. In the upper room with the 120, it's Peter and the disciples. When the Spirit falls, it's Peter who stands up and preaches and proclaims. By the time you're into, into um, chapter 5 of Acts, Peter is rocking. God has equipped him and called him. He's trained him. You think about it, Christ says, all authority in heaven is given to me. And then he sends his disciples out in Matthew 28.18. What's going on there? Do we see that lived out? Well, you certainly see it with Peter. By chapter 5 of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira come on the scene, right? And they're giving their, their offering. And, and Peter kind of says, hey, through the Holy Spirit, says, look, I don't think you're giving everything you said you were going to give. It's not an issue of tithe. It's an issue of being faithful to the Holy Spirit, what they've committed to. What happens at the end of that story? Do you remember? They die. Peter says, you know, let the Holy Spirit judge you. Boom, they drop dead. First the husband and then the wife. What other kinds of crazy stuff goes on? Well, I say crazy, it's, it's amazing. So Peter just walks down the street. He's at the point where he walks down the street and it says people are getting healed by being in his shadow. When Peter's walking down, they, they literally start bringing people onto the streets who are sick. He doesn't even have to touch them. If his shadow touches them, they're being healed. That's amazing. That's incredible. That's the power and authority of Christ over him. Peter goes out and by chapter 9, raises Dorcas from the dead. The kinds of things you see Christ do, that's the stuff that Peter was doing. He was going to walk in the authority of Christ. But we don't see that in the passage where we're at yet. Those are going to be the results. The Acts chapters are the results of Peter's faithful commitment to follow me. Like the men of the 34th Infantry Regiment, you and I are equipped. We're called. We're prepared. And God has sent us. And this is our beachhead. Haverhill, your workplace, your home. Raising the kids and, and getting up each morning and being faithful to that. Being a husband and a faithful wife to one another. All the different things that God has given you. He set you up maybe in a business. He set you up working on the PTA. He set you up homeschooling. The variety of things that God has called each one of us to. And yet each of those, in a sense, are our beachhead. And he's prepared us for it. And he says, get up and follow me. Bring Christ into your situation. Bring Christ into your space. That's what he's calling each of us to do. And you've been trained and prepared to do that. 
Peter hears that. He's been given a real specific mission. In the passages that we read, you remember Christ said to him in verses 15 through 17, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter was given a very clear, specific set of things to do. Do you remember back in in Matthew 16? He's going to say to him, who do people say that I am? Who's the guy that's going to answer that first off? It's Peter. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the one we've been waiting for. And he's going to say, Peter, on you, I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not stand against it. See, Peter has been being equipped, being prepared from the beginning. Peter's been set apart for this. He's the guy who's going to found, if you will, Christ's church. Christ will build his church, but he's using Peter for this. And he's telling Peter, look, this church, this coming thing, you, Peter, have got to feed it. You've got to tend it. You've got to shepherd it. You've got to care for it. None of the other disciples get given that particular mission. At least not that it's recorded in the Gospels. That's Peter's job. That's what he's been assigned to do. That's the call and purpose in his life. And it will come at a cost. Christ is very clear about that. It doesn't even doesn't even give him a pause before he says, and oh, by the way, you're going to get crucified. This is going to be your very death doing this. But do it anyway. Do it anyway. Do you love me? Do it anyway. We'll move on from there, and, and we, as we go into 19, he says, Follow me. Now that's not quite the same sort of follow me. It is an imperative. It is a, um, a command that's being given there. It's present tense. And if you actually looked at it, we would, we would actually find that it's like, be following me. You, be following me as a continuous action. And, and he says, follow me. Well, this follow me in verse 19 seems to be more of a, hey, Let's go talk, and we're going to walk on the beach, follow me. Why do I say that? Because by, when you look at verse 20, what comes next? They're walking on. They're, they're going, and Peter's looking behind him. So it seems from the context that he's saying, follow me. Peter gets up. They go start walking down the beach there. Peter turns and looks back, sees John. Now, how do we know that's John? Because John is the disciple. It refers to John being the disciple who leans back on the, on the breast of Christ and said, who is it that's going to betray you? Well, if we go back and look at the, the Last Supper, that was the disciple John who did that. So that's where we say, oh, this is the disciple we're talking about here. Well, as he look, does that, as we look at verse 20, it says, 
Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? Peter saw him and said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What about this man? Why would Peter say that? Is he kind of, is he concerned about John? Or is he um, jealous of John? I want to be careful with these words. But there's two ways that scholars look at this. You can kind of go back and see, as we look at Scripture, there's these inner circle that Christ has. Peter, James, John. That's kind of Christ's inner circle. They go with him. When we're going to raise Jairus' uh, daughter from the dead, it's Peter, James, and John they bring along. And you see a whole bunch of spaces where it's Peter, James, and John. That's the inner circle. That's his inner core. You see, James and John are the ones who go, hey, Jesus, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And oh, by the way, we want to sit at your right and your left hand. Well, that's nice, but that kind of left Peter on the sideline. So there's some scholars who would say, oh, you know, there's a little bit of contention, a bit of button heads here. You know, hey, what about that guy back there? Kind of attitude. Well, I would venture to say it's a little different. Peter has been given a mission. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. And oh, by the way, Peter, this is going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything, Peter, but you follow me. I think it's out of love. He's looking back to John and going, Jesus, what about him? Is he coming down the same path I'm going down? Is it going to cost him everything? Is Peter looking at then John as almost like a younger brother? John was one of the youngest of the disciples from all we can gather and saying, what about him? Is he going to be with me? Is he going to be asked to do the same things? And I think that's, that's Peter's heart towards John is one of love and affection towards him to care for him. And Jesus says, what? What is it to you? What is it to you? If I ask him to stay here till I return, what is that to you? You follow me. And I think it's a gentle rebuke in that sense of, look, I've called you, Peter, to do something. Don't get distracted with what I've called John to do because it'll be different. It's not going to be what I called you to do. Now, what I want to look at for just a second is we can, we can be caring or we can compare, like a jealous comparing. When we look at people in the body of Christ around us, there's two ways we can approach this. You know, I could... Um, or let me give you a different example. Sean Wu and Jacob Young are both planting churches. We've both sent out both of these planters. Okay? Both of them are doing great stuff. Both of them are men who love God. Both of them are men who have been trained at the pastor's college. Both of them are men who have 
picked up everything and moved to the cities that they're living in at great cost. Both of them, as their churches begin to grow, could look at one another and say, for instance, Jacob's church grows faster. Well, Sean could choose to start comparing himself and saying, well, what about what he's doing? Lord, why? Why is he successful and I'm not? This could quickly take a negative cycle down. This comparison of what you're doing and comparing ourselves to other believers can lead to jealousy, frustration, anger, bitterness. All those things that tear the body of Christ apart. They are distractors that could disable and take you out of the fight. Well, God, if, if, if you're not going to make me grow like he's growing, if you're not going to give me the gifts that he's got, if you're not going to let me do the things that he's doing, then I don't want to do this. Do you see what I'm saying? That's not an unusual situation in the body of Christ. Oh, I want to be, I want to have this gift and I want to be doing this thing. Not what I'm called, not what, not what I'm doing over here. I'd rather do what they're doing. But God's given you specific gifts to be in your lane and doing some really great stuff where you're at. Maybe your gift is serving. That's not like real pretty. Remember what we just talked about? Children's ministry, Toby was talking about. How often do you see what Toby and the crew that's doing children's ministry are doing? Or maybe your ministry, part of your ministry is preparing for, at least in the church, is preparing communion. There's people that do that. They come in early. They get everything ready so that we can have communion. It's not pretty. Maybe they're thinking, oh, well, what I really want to do is this high visibility job so every, you know, people see me. That can be, whether we like to admit it or not, that can be what we become. And it's, it's not something we like to see, and it's not something that we like to think about. But that's what it can become. And comparison is just dangerous. It's just dangerous. It's not helpful. And it'll lead you to a bad place. Because God has given you really incredible gifts. to do the things that he's called you to do. And what we can do is care for people. Now, what can happen and what often happens between Sean and Jacob is for them to get together and go, how can I pray for you? Oh, man, you're really, you're doing, man, you're doing great with that. How are you doing it? Because I, that's cool. I really like that you're doing this thing. I don't know if it would work in our town, but man, I really like that. Hey, how can I be praying about, for you about this? Oh, you're struggling with this thing over here or, or these, this kind of, of uh, temptation. Let me pray for you. Now, here's two guys with different missions or with very similar missions, but looking at one another and encouraging one another and caring for one another, not being distracted by what the other's doing, but 
caring for one another, building one another up in the body of Christ. Do you see kind of the difference of how that can play out? We're all the body. We're all to care for one another. But we also have different missions. And if we're not careful, we can get distracted and get off focus. Peter, I believe, understood his mission. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Pastor the church. Lead the church. John, you might go, well, what was his mission? Well, out of all the disciples, John was the only one that we're aware of not martyred. John lived into the 90s. A.D., 90s. John lived into, you know, A.D., 95, 97. And then this book came out. His gospel came out right before that. He's got some epistles that came out right before that. Peter died almost 30 years before this was written. Peter was crucified almost 30 years before John writes his gospel. Did John have an important mission? You bet he did. Because after the guys, after all the apostles were gone, he was the last one carrying on the word, being the one to say, yes, in fact, I was there at the cross. I did see that happen to the second and third generation of believers. And I'm here to stand witness. And my witness is true. And this is my gospel. This is my good news. Yes, 60 years after Jesus dies. This is my gospel, and I was there. So I know it's true. Did he have a mission? Did he have a role to play? Absolutely. You think of the first leaders of the church, they all knew John. John was around. When we think of the leaders of the church, we go back, oh, that was the church fathers. There were these church fathers who actually knew John still. That's a huge transition, a huge link that God allowed him to live. God allowed him to be among the churches long after the other disciples had given their lives. That was John's calling. That was John's mission, to be faithful and true, to be an elder to the churches that were there. God had that as all part of his plan. So he had a mission. It wasn't Peter's mission. And John was faithful and followed after Christ. When Peter asked, what about this man? Jesus says to him, don't worry about him. You follow me. I've got a different set of things that he needs to do and accomplish for as I build my church. Peter, you have these set of things. You follow me. Keep your eyes on me. What's John doing over here? Great stuff. You follow me. And that's us. That's what we're called to do. To follow him. That's what Christ is saying to each one of us. You, follow me. Wherever you're at in life, whatever your position you 
follow me. If I could have the band come up. In closing, I'm going to ask you to be a little bold today. If you could uh, put up the next slide, please. Last slide. I'm going to ask you to be a little bold today. I don't know how many of you take notes, but I'm going to ask you to write something down. I'm going to ask you to write down what has God been laying on your heart? What has God been asking you to do? What thing has He put into your spirit? And you've been going, mm, not really. Don't want to do that. I hear you, God, but that's going to take a lot of time. That's going to take a lot of effort. That sounds out of my comfort zone. I guarantee nothing Peter did was in his comfort zone. Guaranteed, getting out of a boat in the middle of a storm was not in his comfort zone. Guaranteed, starting a church, what the heck's a church? Was not in his comfort zone. Guaranteed, being told you're going to be crucified was not in his comfort zone. But Christ said, follow me. So I'm going to ask you to write down, what's God laid on your heart? Then, I'm going to ask you to write down the next thing. You can like write, next, write the next line. Write, write the word roadblock. What's the thing blocking you from doing it? What's holding you up from that? What's stopping you? Well, maybe when the kids grow up. Uh, maybe when I retire. Maybe when I get a job. What's holding you up? Write that down. And we're going to take a few minutes here. And I want you to commit the task and the mission and even the roadblock to God. And we'll just take a minute or two and pray and say, God, if you've called me to this, show me how to do it. Remove the roadblocks. Careful what you pray. They might get answered. Remove the roadblocks. And then I want you at the end of this to commit to following Jesus wherever He's leading. Let's pray.